Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The film is called Dogtown Redemption, and it's the story shot over a seven-year period, and it follows the lives of three street recyclers in the area of West Oakland, uh, California, uh, named Dogtown. Uh, Jason Witt, an Olympic champion of recycling, who often hauls shopping carts uh, that weigh over a ton, Landon Goodwin, a former minister, and Miss Kay, the daughter of a prominent Korean family, drummer from a punk band in the 80s, are all the subjects of this particular documentary called Dogtown Redemption. And we are joined today by the co-directors of this film, and that would be Amir Sultani and Chihiro uh, Wimbush, uh, the co-directors of the film Dogtown Redemption. And I am hoping and praying that you're both on the line. We are. Ah, Yes, good morning. Good morning. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show, to, uh, part of film school today. Um, tell me, um, I'll start, I'll just uh, jump ball, but Amir, why don't you tell me how this all got started? Well, what was it that prompted you? This is a seven-year project, so obviously put a lot of time and effort and heart and soul into this, but tell me where the genesis of Dogtown Redemption began. Uh, I moved to West Oakland about nine years ago, and I was staying at my uh, brother's house. And every, every time we would put the trash out, um, you'd see people come and rummage through the trash, and it wasn't just one person, either one, two, three, four. And at a certain point, you'd want to go out and say, guys, there's nothing left, you know. Um, eventually, um, uh, one gentleman came down, his name was Jefferson, and he was half paralyzed. So I went out to um, help him, and together we walked to re- the uh, Alliance Metals, the recycling center, where the, the um, bottles and cans were being redeemed. And it was like walking onto a Fellini set. I mean, there you had really the face of poverty in America, people with mental health issues, uh, old folks, um, just, just the whole gamut of uh, people who are having a, a difficult time making ends meet. And what was so stirring and moving about it is that this was a place where, by almost any definition, um, you know, people should have been dead, and yet what we were facing was this incredible resilience and creativity. And so I thought that's a story worth exploring, you know. Uh, in the 60s, America launched the War on Poverty, and we had Michael Harrington and all of that stuff, you know, that whole consciousness about poverty. Um, and something, so that consciousness is leaving us, and um, so we started making the film. Well, Chahiro, um, I won't ask you, uh, so how did this partnership between the two of you come together on this? Well, as Amir mentioned, he he was actually living in the neighborhood near the recycling center and I think spent about six months just sort of getting to know the recycling center and the fascinating characters who frequented it. And about six months into the process, I think when he was really seeing an image for a film, he kind of reached out through a mutual acquaintance, and um, I'd done a little bit of work in both narrative and documentary film, and came out and visited the center for the first time. And the first time I went, I was just completely, actually overwhelmed by it because it's smashing glass and bottles and can. It's sort of this assault on your senses, and at every single one, whether it's sight or sound or smell, and. Um, I have to say, my first impression was just actually, wow, this seems almost like 
too much. But as I got to know the people there um, through Amir and got to spend more time just kind of hanging out and uh, spending time with them because it's not the kind of environment where you can just walk in with the camera easily and just start filming and expect to get that kind of immediate access with all the people there. It takes time to build that kind of trust. And so I really learned, or we learned together, kind of to, to put the camera down initially and, and give people a chance to get to know who we are, just kind of coming in and asking them questions about what they do in the middle of the night and sort of proving we're not undercover cops and just kind of giving them the chance to get to know a little bit about why we were there. And so it was a really fruitful period of spending time just hanging out with these different amazing people who have been faced with difficult life circumstances and really developing friendships in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting to know people that perhaps I might not have otherwise gotten to, to know in that way. And sort of the beauty of this filmmaking process has been really um, getting to to really share a journey with um, not just the three characters in the film, who obviously are the prime focus, but we actually got to know a lot of people along the way. And mm -hmm. I think it's those relationships that um, that I really treasured as part of this process. Yeah, um, I'm, I want to get into uh, the, the, that the people, but I want to I want to just sort of frame this a little bit this takes place in in west oakland california um and i'll ask you uh chihiro just in terms of you mentioned alliance metals and and, uh, and just that kind of uh it's, it sounds like from what you described a, a, a significant operation and i imagine that its presence kind of is a big footprint in that part of oakland in that part of that community um and I and in the film, I'm not, I don't think I'm revealing too much. Is that there is some pushback among the neighborhoods uh, surrounding uh, Alliance uh, for their their I guess business practices for the fact that it is there and the people that it attracts. But um, well, you you do you'll do a better job than I will. T set a context for this sort of the neighborhood and the interaction with this operation. Why it's so significant to the people who um, who are there to bring recycled material. I know that's well, a the lot, but... recycling center is really a lifeline for people in the street there who would not, um, really not have the option to, you know, get a, you know, a, a standard job at, you know, a bank or, or, or anywhere like that. I mean, these are people who have really fallen off the radar of our society. And so this is kind of like one of the last available means to, to get an income you know, bringing, using a shopping cart and gathering these bottles and cans and bringing it to the recycling center. And it's a lot of work for not a lot of money. I mean, they go out for 10, 12, 14, 15 hours all night. Um, and especially with the, you know, the dropping value of commodities, I mean, it, it, might, it might be for $20, $30 for, for all that time. And um, it, it's an essential um, opportunity for income for these people who are out in the street and really don't have any other way to survive. And in relation to what you mentioned with the neighborhood, you know, as, as Oakland's changing quite a bit, you know, in the Bay Area we have tech and uh, the, econ the overall economy is changing a lot. There's gentrification that's been gradually pushing into this neighborhood that, you know, traditionally and historically um, had been uh, a mixed industrial and residential community and had been one of the few areas where African Americans um, could live and, and buy homes. And so um, there's this kind of 
almost like a toxic mix as the gentrification pushes in. And even though these people who now own the condos near the recycling center are new to the neighborhood, you know, they have this perception of the people who've been there far longer. You know, these people who rattle the shopping carts in front of their front door, you know, who bring this kind of undesirable, you know, element as they perceive it to their neighborhood. And of course, the recycling center is the magnet of that. You know, they just see this as kind of a blight in their area and, and want to push it out. And that's the sort of the central tension in the background of the film between these folks who have been here for years and years and years trying to survive and um, this newer community coming in and changing the face of the neighborhood. Amir, you, you described in the beginning of the interview, uh, you know, your, when you were getting to know some of these people that were, you know, appearing and at, at your trash bins and, and, and such. Tell me a little bit about the process in this film. I assume from my previous interviews with documentary filmmakers, you probably shot a lot of different people, uh, but you focused eventually on Jason and Hayok, as, as well as, um, who am I leaving out? Go, uh, Landon Goodwin. So tell me a little bit of the process about gaining the trust and uh, their confidence in getting, uh, 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 being the subjects of the film. I think it looks like maybe Amir might have gotten dropped from oh, you think he... the call somehow. So I'll just jump in, and if he's here, maybe he can jump in as well. Okay. Uh, this is Chihiro. Um, basically, the process of trying to get the trust of these characters, we started with a, a very big cast of people, as you can imagine. I mean, you, to get down to three, you start out with a couple of dozen, and, and you meet, you know, hundreds over uh, you know over a period of several months and even years, um, and so you know I think I mentioned there was a process of just trying to gain trust because I I think if you just show up as an outsider to that neighborhood and start asking questions you know people think you have some sort of ulterior motive whether right. you're you know police or something else right um, and so we just sat on street corners for a while with different people and um, and we probably interviewed and followed maybe a dozen different recyclers for a while before we gradually whittled it down. And um, to get to those three, and I should say actually we followed four over the whole seven years, and only three ended up in the film. There's a fourth character named Rosalind, who's a former prostitute and an African-American woman in her 50s who became a recycler as she got older. Mm-hmm. It was quite. It was a very difficult process, and, and sometimes it was as simple as like who we could actually find on a given day. I mean, these are people without cell phones or email, and sometimes you're just looking for the needle in the haystack mm-hmm. to even locate someone right. on a given day. Right. But, um, you know, what clearly emerged over time was that Landon, the preacher, I mean, you can just, when you see the film and you hear him, he sounds like someone who doesn't belong there. You know, he has this whole way of speaking. He sounds, you know, highly educated. He had clearly had a different kind of background, and as we later discovered, you know, he'd been a preacher. And so there was something to him even before he knew his whole story. Mm-hmm. And then as we got to know him, and be like, well, how does someone with this faith and this spirit end up on a street corner smoking crack mm-hmm. and pushing a, a shopping cart to survive? Right. And, you know, similarly with Jason and Hayok, who we, we called Miss K, um, you know, there's a woman you know, an Asian-American woman who's tiny, who that, that alone sort of defies a lot of the stereotypes about right. who's homeless and right. street. And, you know, then you dig a little deeper, and it's like, wow, she came from a wealthy Korean family. She was a punk rock drummer in a band that had been featured in Spin Magazine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, 
in Jason, you know, coming from a, a suburban existence in uh, over the hills in a suburban community called Lafayette, and uh, and ending up, you know, in street life, gang life, and then eventually becoming a recycler. So they've all just had these incredible journeys, and just to survive that process with all their quirks and flaws, there's something remarkable about those people. They had a, a strength of will. They had a, a personality that comes through in the film, and uh, and just a yeah a, a sheer uh, perseverance that that we really admired. Yeah. To, a lot to be admired, and I want to just remind our listeners that we're speaking with uh, Chihiro Wimbush, uh, who is the Wimbush, pardon me, who is the director of the uh, co-director of the f- documentary uh, Dogtown Redemption. It'll be screening uh, this Monday night on Independent Lens, and that's a, a PBS affiliate near you. Uh, it's uh, it says ten to eleven Eastern time, so just be checking for the PBS, and that would be KCET and. K Doc, I believe not K Doc. We have two of them here in Cali- Southern California. Eh, just check it out. You can also go to the website, which is dogtownredemption.com. Dogtownredemption.com to find out more about the screenings and such. We have lost a mirror, and I apologize. And we're sort of near the end of our time. So, um, Cheerio, I'm, I'm afraid I just will just continue the two of us. Until um, and my apologies to Amir. I don't know why that happened or what happened, but I apologize. Um, technology, now, technology, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. And and I, I want to compliment the film be, uh, and you as filmmakers that it is a very even-handed look. I mean, we see the point of view of the the man who's running Alliance Metals. We see people in the neighborhood talking about the circumstances surrounding. Uh, the homeless people in their neighborhoods and how they feel about it, city council members, etc. And it's all done as a point of view. So there's not there's no narration in the film. So you're hearing and seeing the experiences of the people involved in in all aspects of this particular story. It's very well done. Uh, and I my, my hats off to you because oftentimes when we portray the homeless, there's sort of a narrative that goes along with it that. It doesn't in this film. I mean, these three different stories all go in very different directions and um, end up being very different in their outcomes, at to the to the point where the the film ends. And it's just a it's very well done. I don't know if you have a comment uh, on that or not, but uh, my 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 right. hats off to you just as uh, as filmmakers. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, that actually means a lot to us because we we did work hard to try to not kind of hit the nail over the head um, as far as how we presented the film. There was definitely a belief that if you just kind of show people's lives unfolding and if we could really get in the shoes, particularly the recyclers, but do as even-handed a look as we could at this sort of issue that's multi-layered. I mean, we're examining the micro level of you know, poverty on the street and, and these particular people's experiences. But the hope is always to kind of use that as a way to um, have a broader discussion about kind of the history there and community and, and obviously touch on, um, you know, inequality today. I mean, it's relevant, obviously, with what's happening economically in the world and how the underclass is sort of pushed lower and lower and, and is seemingly you know, excluded from the political conversation that's happening this very year in our election cycle. 
Um, but, you know, it's so easy to kind of just do something like you say with uh, just lay narration over it and kind of, you know, yeah. shout at people about what the message should be. But um, I've always felt as a filmmaker, if you start kind of with the heart, with empathy first and move people, and then you can move to the head and have a broader conversation. But it's, it's just, I think Roger Ebert once said that, you know, films are empathy-building machines, and I, I totally agree with that. I think when it's done well... It's a window into this world that we otherwise wouldn't experience as viewers, and it's a way to really, you know, if we do our job right as filmmakers, um, we put you inside that experience so you can feel what it feels like to, you know, push a shopping cart in the middle of the night in, in West Oakland or whatever the experience is. You know, I could not have said it better. That is exactly why we love documentaries. You, you've, you've exactly why they're important, why they're relevant, uh, and, and especially in illuminating corners of the world that we live in today that we would never or if if at all stumbled across the the world that uh that Jason Landon and Hayok uh ac- occupy and and why they're there and how they got there and the circumstances surrounding them the lives of uh, the family members that are trying to help them and you're right i think for maybe one of the first few times in my entire life uh, we actually have a political discussion underway at a national level that could tremendously impact our perception and our actions dealing with people who are homeless and why they're homeless and drug addictions and all the kinds of things that lead to people being on the street it's an encouraging time and i'm glad for films like dogtown redemption that do what we're, what you described uh, you know a window into a world Again, the film is going to be screening on Independent Lens. That's a PBS um, show this Monday. It's also going to be screening other places. So, um, Chihiro, where else can people see this uh, film? Well, I know there are screenings in the work locally. The hope is to bring the film back to West Oakland, actually to the community that it was filmed in. And I know that there's a, it's still, the actual details are still being worked out. I believe there's a tentative of June 16th right in the neighborhood there. I'm sure it will run again on Independent Lens, but this is a terrific film. And um, I'm so thankful that you and I apologize again to Amir for uh, for having lost him in, in translation here somewhere out there. Yeah, so thank you again and all the all the best to, to both of you on this film and on your future projects as well. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out today to um, to talk to us and to shine a, a spotlight on this issue. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I, you take care, and uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay, take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.